This week, I wanted to continue our series in looking at Moses as the role model for the last day church and for us too. But uh, I, the title of this, this part, this message, is The Season of Egypt. The Season of Egypt. Because that was the first main section out of three sections of Moses' life. The first one was Egypt, where he spent 40 years there. And it's interesting that the Lord had him spend 40 years in the center of one of the, the greatest empires of that period of time and not just not just in the the empire but in the court of pharaoh and you know god orchestrated that moses would be virtually raised in the court of pharaoh and there's many things we could bring out about this this time period in his life but i i wanted to look at three three principal things um, that that we can bring out or that we're going to bring out in this section now, the first thing we can consider was how at the birth of Moses, his parents and their family were facing great difficulties, right? Great oppression, um, threats, trouble, and not, not just that. I mean, action against uh, the people of God from Pharaoh and his taskmasters. They had to face, you know, working with great rigor, as we considered, and they faced a genocide, right? Where all of the, the sons, Pharaoh ordered the death of all of the sons of Israel. You know, sometimes we hear about, we read the news, and the news just looks like it's just full of woe and difficulty. And, you know, you read about our country, and it's like, oh, man, look at the things we're going through and the things we're facing. But sometimes it's good to meditate on what Israel went through in this time in Egypt um, to get some perspective because they went through worse times, right? Now, worse times are coming upon all the earth, uh, but yet it's good to get perspective, but especially because one of the messages of this story is that in the midst of all of that, something remarkable took place. There was a turning because that's a vital part of the story. And it's a story that speaks to, to those who are also walking in God's pathway, following the plan of God for their lives. Because in this great difficulty, you know, Moses' mother, she had to surrender her son to the Lord. You know, not just into the river, but into the hands of God by making that basket and let it float, just placing it and removing her hands and letting it go. What was the result? Well, he was, of course, we know in the story, he was taken up by the daughter of the very enemy that was oppressing them. And, you know, taking Moses in, raising him in the court of Pharaoh. That probably wasn't Pharaoh's intention. But, hey, that's, that's what happens when the Lord is in charge. And so she received her son back. Not just that, but then she went and paid Moses' mother to nurse him. Right. And so, you know, in a sense, Moses was given back to her and she was rewarded and she could have an impartation into the life of her son. You know, it kind of reminds me of how, you know, the Lord turns the curse 
into a blessing. And of course, we can remember the words from Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And, and so we can understand how God can turn the most terrible, evil, wicked situation for good. Even the working of his enemies, you know, I can't imagine facing that situation where the, the, the ruler of the land you're living in says, you're going to have to put your own son to death or submit your son to be put to that. And, and they had to release him into the hands of God. But God was able to turn it for good, right? For those who love him, love his ways enough to trust in him and to embrace the way that he's leading us. And when you're kind of looking at it in this light, I really have great respect for the parents of Moses. When you, when you think about what God was asking them to do, it, it's very much like the situation with Abraham, where God said to Abraham, give me your son. And, you know, we, we read about uh, Abraham, how he, he kind of had a, he had a faith that God could even raise his son from the dead. I'm just kind of wondering if Moses' parents had a faith in their heart that, well, we're putting our son into the hands of God, but we're believing that he can do something, that he can restore and what happened? They got him back. They got him back with a blessing. But, you know, they surrendered him to the river. God brought him back again because God can even use our enemies to bless those who trust in him and obey him. And so they were going through quite a difficult time, but God is able to turn it for good. And that's a, a message we want to to meditate upon as we read about all the evil things happening in the world and in the earth, God is able to turn it for good for those who love him, who trust in him, who are following his pathway. Now, the second aspect we can see here is how Moses had to spend some time in the court of Pharaoh and quite a lot of time when you think about 40 years. I mean, that's quite a number of years to receive training. And so he had to learn some valuable lessons there in Egypt. And we can understand this from Stephen's message in the book of Acts, where he's recounting the life of Moses. And he says this little verse about Moses in Acts 7.22. He says, Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deed. It wasn't just in the ways of God but he spent time and he learned all the wisdom of the Egyptians. And so you get the idea that he had to learn, he had to study, right? He, he, there was something he had to obtain in this time period. And it was in a very dark place, in a dark court. I imagine there's all sorts of things that were unpleasant and, you know, worshiping all the many gods of Egypt and things he had to, to face, but he walked through that and he learned a lot from that experience. You know, even though we are told to avoid the wisdom that's from below and we're to focus on the wisdom that's from above, right? As James says, you know, there is a wisdom and a knowledge that we can gain when we walk through natural circumstances um, in our natural duties and occupations. And, you know, that took place for 40 years in the life of Moses and 
You know, sometimes we can get confused in that, in, in just these natural situations where we don't see anything spiritual. Um, you know, because often to receive wisdom, it's in time of need. And sometimes it's natural situations that God orchestrates where, where we have to, that they kind of motivate us to say, Lord, I need wisdom. Lord, give me wisdom for this thing, this decision I have to make or this thing I'm going through. And so we have to pay attention to sometimes to the natural things where, where the Lord brings us into. If we were disregard them as unimportant, sometimes we can miss the things God wants to teach us, the wisdom that's from above. You know, it says this in Isaiah 28. And he's, the Lord's using a, a, a natural occupation to speak to us. He says, Isaiah 28, 23, it says, Give ear and hear my voice. Listen and hear my speech. Does the plowman keep plowing all day to sow? And does he keep turning his soil and breaking the clods? And when he has leveled its surface, does he not sow the black cumin and scatter the cumin and plant the wheat in rows and the barley in the appointed place, and the spelt in its place? Verse 26, for he instructs him in right judgment. His God teaches him. And then verse 29, it says, This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. Here is someone walking in a natural occupation, and God saying, I want to give him wisdom from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel, excellent in guidance. And you know, we want to pay attention here to some of those natural occupations, natural things that, that sometimes God tells us to do and to, to walk in and, you know, some of the mundane things of life. Because here's the plowman just working away, doing some very natural things, some hard work in, in this instance. But it says, it is God who instructs him in right judgment and God who teaches him. And so there can be some instruction that God wants to give to us as we're just doing the things he asks us to do. I want to meet the one who's wonderful in, uh, in counsel and excellent in guidance. I want to get good at taking his guidance and following it. So in our preparation to be used by the Lord, there is a precious wisdom and instruction that comes upon uh, from the Lord of hosts to those who are just being faithful in the natural duties, in the natural occupations, the natural situations. And actually, you can see this in many of the great leaders in Scripture. Right? You see this parallel. Where was David when Samuel came and the, and the feast was called and the, you know, the meat was set forth and all the sons of, uh, of Jesse were there and everyone was having a good time and Samuel was going down the line? Lord, is this your anointed? No. Where was David? He was just faithfully tending his flock. Now his brother Eliab said, you're few sheep. I don't know how few it was, but he was just out there. Didn't matter. He was just one to be faithful. He had to be called in from the field to go on. And, and there's that aspect. You know, where was Elisha? When Elijah came, he was just plowing the fields and that's where he received the mantle from his master. Where was Joshua? Well, he was there for 40 years as well, just serving Moses. And then he was chosen. And so there's this, 
this vital concept that we have to look for wisdom and instruction, even in the most mundane of areas, you know, and be faithful in those areas of what God calls us to do or what he's taking us through. Now, this can apply to, you know, our life, uh, but it can apply to just situations where God is taking us through and calling us to walk through something natural and to be faithful in it. Now, I remember, uh, actually, I heard, that, heard this like third hand, so I might not be getting all the details right, but I heard a, a Pastor Wallace was sharing a story about uh, some, some who had just graduated from a Bible school and, you know, they wanted to make their start in the ministry. And uh, Elizabeth might have to fill me on details if I get it wrong, but it, the details don't matter. But yet, so, so they wanted to make their start in the ministry and, and they came to a, a certain field um, to, to help out the ministry and, and take part in it. But the head of that ministry, when they got there, asked them to do some natural things. And, you know, some jobs and projects that needed to be done, I think one of them might have been painting a wall or doing some painting or something uh, on the property. And, and their response when they were asked to do these, these things were, well, we came to minister and preach, not to paint. Well, the result was they didn't last too long on the field. And I think eventually they, they went home. You know, they didn't want to do those natural things. They thought, what? That's, that's not where God is. I want to preach. I want to, I want to minister. Well, the thing is, is God is in those things. That's where we meet him. And that's where we learn much of, of who he's like, of being faithful. There's actually a quote from one of our textbooks. I always kind of chuckle when I read this. But the, it's telling a story of a certain Bible school. Here's another situation with Bible school students. Sometimes they get ready. They say, I want to minister. And then God says, well, here's some lessons to learn. But anyway, here's a certain Bible school where one of the students was always crying out in the prayer meetings, Lord, make me a martyr. I want to be a martyr for you. And one evening, one of his fellow students just, you know, asked him if he would, wouldn't mind taking his pots and pans duties after the dinner because he had a special event he had to attend to. Not I, says the martyr. He had better things to do than pots and pans. But, you know, there's something about being faithful in those natural things that God presents to us. It may seem like there's no relation at all to our spiritual calling or to the promises of God. And it's hard to see how these things are connected, but it's important. You know, Pastor Bailey was, went through several revivals in the length of his ministry, and he said something I had not quite grasped the significance of until I was just kind of considering this concept of the natural. Um, he, and he said this, he said, one of the pitfalls of revival. Now, when, when he says that, you're like, okay, I want to pay attention because, you know, God's promises, we're going to come into revival. So if there's a pitfall, I want to know what it is. Well, here's what he said. One of the pitfalls of revival is losing a concern about natural things. I mean, think about that for a minute. I mean, isn't our desire for the spiritual? It's like, I want revival to come and I just want to live in his presence. I just want to do, you know, whatever it takes to just worship him and experience the presence of God and see the power of God. But, but, and that's true. 
You know, when the power of God is flowing and there's revelation, who wants to go to work? Who wants to pay their bills? Who wants to mow their lawn, right? Or who wants to do any of that stuff? Um, but there's something that even in revival and the power of God that, that can't be obtained without experiencing those natural things of just being faithful in the natural. Faithful to do what God wants us to do because something is formed in our character. God can teach us some things in those natural situations that will prepare us and give us the right heart and character. And we have to be mindful of that and not just get our eyes on heaven. Of course, there's that phrase, someone's so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. We don't want to be that. Of course, Paul had to, had to correct the Thessalonian church on that, right? Because he, he, he actually had to tell them, if a man doesn't work, then he shouldn't eat. Because church, uh, we, we don't really know that from Scripture, the context of that, but church history says that, that they were so caught up on the, on the teaching of the second coming, and they thought, hey, he's coming any day. And so they'd kind of work, their, their concern for work had petered out, and they were all sitting around talking about the second coming and looking up at the sky and saying, oh, is he coming yet? Anyone, did you see anything? Or what's it going to be like? And they had ceased thinking about natural things and meeting God and being prepared in their hearts. And they were just looking up at the sky. And, you know, that's the lesson God would speak to us is that he would impart wisdom. And the Lord of hosts is wonderful in counsel, excellent in instruction. And in the coming revival, we cannot lose, lose sight of what God would do in the natural and in our lives, in our everyday lives, because that's how he's going to speak and impart wisdom. Now, one last lesson from this season of Moses' life and that I want to consider is, is how he left Egypt. Because in a sense, when you're reading Exodus, he kind of ended his season with a mistake and a failure, right? And kind of, you know, sad in that sense of fleeing. And, you know, we can read that story from Exodus where he saw the Egyptian abusing an Israelite and, you know, one of his fellow, uh, fellow Israelites. And so Moses slew the Egyptian and buried his body. And of course, his motivation in that, he was thinking, well, his brethren, they're going to be thankful that I'm, I'm helping out, that I'm, in a, I'm intervening for them. And, you know, he thought, I'm, you know, I, I wonder if he just had that sense. Well, I'm called to be a deliverer, so I'm going to deliver them, you know, from, from these bad Egyptians. You know, Stephen also records this in Acts 7.25. He said that, that Moses, he supposed his brethren should have understood how God by his hand would have them deliver them. You know, it was clear in Moses' heart that he was called to be a deliverer of his people. And he thought the people would have that same appreciation. And so he went about to try and do something about that, but uh, they didn't quite see it the way he did. Instead, they said, well, who made you a ruler over us? And so he, Moses had that sense of his calling his brother, brethren didn't see it the same way because it was going to take an additional season of preparation. But also, you know, this action brought about some severe 
consequences. Moses or, or Pharaoh heard about it and sought for his life, and so Moses had to flee. And, you know, in, in a way, this event revealed something in Moses' heart, that perhaps there was a, a, a self-will that sought to accomplish things in his own effort. You know, maybe some of us can relate to that, trying to do things in our own effort. And God allowed a failure to take place in the eyes of Israel and also in the eyes of us. I mean, it's recorded for all eternity in the Word of God. How would you like that? Sometimes we can really mess up, but it's not written in the eternal Word of God. It's wiped out by the blood of the Lamb, and hopefully our panels, like Pastor Bailey talked, they'll be white on that spot. Hopefully they won't say, you've got a lot of white panels up there, right? But at least they're whited out. But Moses, it's there. But of course, I, I really think it's for our benefit because he's our role model. And, you know, what, what's interesting is when you compare, compare the accounts in Exodus and then God's summary of that in Hebrews, there's a bit of a difference there, isn't, isn't there? Because in Exodus, Moses, it, it kinda, he kind of fled in fear, right? He feared when it was found out that he'd killed the Egyptian and he fled, to, he fled into the wilderness. But in Hebrews, the account the Lord gives and the summary, you could say it was the Lord's summary of the action that Moses fled in faith. Right? Hebrews 11.27, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Now isn't that interesting? That's almost like, Lord, how do you, how do you work that out? He fled, you know, I mean, it says he feared when, when it was found out and he fled, but from God's perspective, he did not fear. He left in faith. You know, you know, even though we're kind of reading between the lines, it doesn't expressly say this in Scripture, I, I think that we can tell that Moses had a meeting with God in that wilderness, in that desert for 40 years. God was meeting him and working in his life. You know, I'm not just talking about the burning bush either, but that God was working something in his heart. And I think we can surmise that that situation in Egypt of him having to leave, that, that must have been unpleasant, perhaps even discouraging, right? To leave in such a, a, a way. It, it, it was probably a bitter experience. And maybe he, there was even some wandering in his heart, you know, Lord, why did you allow this? You called me to be a deliverer. Maybe there was even some reaction in his, in his heart. Well, I just give up. You know, my brethren don't, didn't want me. I utterly failed. You know, I just fell on my face. You know, in that sense, I had to flee. I give up. Maybe that's crossed your, your spirit a time or two, you know, and, and things you've gone, gone through. And here's the Lord saying he fled in faith, not fearing. But I, I think we can look at it this way, that in the midst of failure and bitterness, Moses was able to pick himself up to look to the Lord and to give that situation with him and to move on. He presented that to the Lord that, and these, what had been revealed in his life through failure Right was was a, his own self will, 
trying to do things his way, but he met God on it and he overcame. And when he appeared before the Lord at the burning bush, there wasn't, I mean, when you read it, there wasn't a trace of bitterness, was there? Or, or something in his heart. I mean, it, in one sense, he's like, Lord, I, don't, I can't do it. It was the opposite now. Lord, I don't have what it takes. All he had was a recognition that he needed God and God would have to undertake for him. And so now the Lord looks back and he doesn't record that uh, as a failure. God just sees the work of faith that was accomplished in Moses' life of how he met God and overcame. And it's interesting when you look at Scripture of how you can also see some of the great men of faith uh, and how they experienced failure and how they allowed God to deal with them. But not just that, but it almost became their greatest strength when they met God. You know, David, we see this in his life with, you know, adultery and sin with Bathsheba. There was a heart cry for righteousness, for purity. And that became basically the dominant message in his life. Also, wisdom that, that he left in the first few chapters of Proverbs for his son of purity. Too bad his son didn't listen, but that was still his message. And that was his heart. You know, Paul, we could consider him, you know, he started off as the great persecutor of the church, but then he became, you know, he met God, was transformed, and he became the pattern of long suffering for the church, of enduring tribulation. And of course, Moses, he experienced a great failure because of his self-will, but in the next season of his life, as he was transformed, God proclaimed him the meekest man in all the earth. You see, it went from a great failure and weakness to a great strength. I mean, that's kind of remarkable, isn't it? Because he was not meek when he started out, but he was transformed into the meekest man in all the earth when he allowed God to work in him. And so we can be encouraged from the life of Moses because we can experience weakness and failure. We can even feel disqualified because of what we see in ourselves. But you know, God would lift us up and he would work in our lives. You know, some verses in closing, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 8 talks about some of the things we pass through. We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. Now, God, God's hand might come upon us to deal with us. He might let us fall flat on our face, but not to destroy. Because we also have Proverbs 24, 16. For the righteous falls seven times, and he rises again. But the wicked, they will stumble. They will fall in times of calamity. You know, I, I think perhaps we're going to be surprised in the days to come who God uses and raises up to be deliverers of his people. Maybe even people who have experienced bitter failure. But they've allowed him, God, to work deeply in their hearts and to get to the root issue that was in their life and in their 
character and to circumcise it and cut it away so much so that it, it almost becomes their greatest strength and they can minister to people because of that. You know, there might be something that disqualifies us at the moment, but we can believe God for him to come and to bring about a change, the miracle of change and transformation so that it becomes our greatest strength. And so Moses' life is a testimony that God is able to turn all things for good. I'm so grateful for that. Amen. For those who love him and who trust in him and will follow him, follow the lamb wherever he leads. And if we're willing to meet with God and receive his training, and that's the key, it, Moses spent some time being trained, you know, and worked on in the natural and in the spiritual. God might even reveal things we didn't know was there. But it's all for a purpose, to lift us up that in our weakness, he might show himself strong and even make our strength great in him. And Father, we just thank you for this wonderful example in the life of your servant. Lord, we pray that you would just come afresh upon us. Lord, even by your anointing, Lord, help us to, Lord, even to endure and continue Lord, that your, your working, Lord, would turn for good. Lord, even in, in the difficulties we face, oh, Lord, we look to you, that you would turn the curse into a blessing. Lord, that we could follow you. Lord, even help us, Lord, to, to keep our eyes upon you and to meet you even in the natural situations you would take us through, even in the mundane things. May we learn those lessons, Lord, that you are trying to speak to us, that you're trying to teach us and give us wisdom from on high. Help us to do that. And, Oh God, we just give you our hearts, Lord. We give you our weaknesses and our failures. And Lord, we pray that you would come and that you would do a work of transformation, that in our weakness, Lord, we might be found strong and that you would make us strong. Oh God, that we could walk in your way and run the race, we ask. We thank you. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.